Well, Quinquagesima brings to a close this strange Jessima season, 70 days, 60 days, 50 days before the Feast of Easter. And this season has been devoted to preparing us for our Lenten devotion. It is a time for us to think deeply about who we are, who God is, and who Jesus reveals God to be in his crucifixion and his resurrection. And so each of the succeeding weeks speaks deeply to us about how it is that we should prepare, and yet we find ourselves incapable of the great journey without God's matchless grace. So in Septuagesima, the first of the preparatory Sundays, we heard Jesus tell the parable about the workers who went into the fields all day long, and some received they all received the same, though some only worked one hour. That same Sunday, we heard Paul's exhortation to the Corinthians that they should, like him, run the race that was set before them, subduing the body, pressing it down so that it would not fail in the race. Last week, we heard Jesus tell the parable of the sower and the seeds inviting us to consider how it is that Israel had been brought back from that long and terrible exile only to be sown back into the land. Yet Jesus asks the question, who will have faith when the Son of Man comes? We, each one, encouraged to ask God for that great gift of faith, even as we endure the sufferings and persecutions and temptations of this world. And finally, we come as Jesus tells his disciples, now we go up to Jerusalem and the cross we should see in full view. And this is our theme for Quinquagesima, that by God's grace, pouring his love into our hearts, we were able to see God's love fully on display as Jesus hangs upon the cross for the sins of the world. Jesus, you see, is on the way to die in Jerusalem, and yet his disciples are not prepared, and they cannot hear the message that he tells them. He tells the disciples that he would be arrested, tortured, killed, and on the third day he would rise again from the dead. And even though this was the third time that Jesus had delivered this same message to them, they could not understand. But this blind man, this beggar, standing along the side of the road in Jericho, that moment where Jesus turns and heads back up the hill to Jerusalem, blind Martimaeus Martimaeus can indeed see. He sees with the eyes of faith. He sees Jesus for who he truly is and calls upon him by his rightful title, Son of David, the long-expected King of Israel, successor, promised son of David. And in that great declaration, Bartimaeus in his faith is transformed. Yes, his sight is returned to him, but even more so, Bartimaeus gets up from his daily toil asking for people's charity and follows Jesus proclaiming his glory along the way to his glorious death. Bartimaeus can see, 
while Jesus' disciples cannot yet see. This is what Luke invites us to meditate upon today. In the Gospel of John, the third chapter, Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever looks upon him and believes in him may have eternal life. You see, my friends, in Lent, we seek by faith that vision, the vision that Bartimaeus was granted immediately, though the disciples struggled to see. In Lent, we seek to the faith by faith the vision of Christ. And as we make our Lenten journey, we meditate upon the great and mysterious act, which is Christ's death upon the cross. Upon the cross, we see the love of the Father, who is willing to suffer the loss of his own Son. In the cross, we see the love of the Son, as he was willing to take upon himself the full power of death and sin, so that you and I may be set free. In the cross, we find the love of the Holy Spirit transforming us, converting us, and commissioning us to be bearers of God's love to a dark and dying world. You see, upon the cross, we see the triune God, evident and glorious in each of them, loving us more than we could ever ask or desire. So Paul, writing to the Corinthians, tells them and us that love, you see, is the beginning and the end of all things. Now, Paul didn't know about the Beatles, and they, of course, would tell us that all we need is love, but Paul doesn't mean that at all, certainly not the way that they meant it. For Paul, this charity, this love, is not sentimentality, It's certainly not romantic love, the kind of love that our world is consumed by, nor is this love the kind of love that we think of when we use the word charity to describe the act of caring for the poor and the needy. No, this love that Paul describes and exhorts the Corinthian Christians to have is the desire for the good, as Aquinas so ably developed in his work. We desire things because we perceive them to be good for us. We don't like bad things, even though we choose things that end up being bad for us. Every time a human being chooses to do or to achieve something, we perceive it to be good for us. But Aquinas reminds us that the most desirable thing must be the greatest of all goods. And that greatest of all goods, that most lovable of all things, is God himself. But you know, as well as I do, that sadly we are content with things that are less than the best. We are so easily tempted and distracted by things that don't even approach the highest of all goods. We desire things that are wrong in themselves. They are the wrong things to have for us. We do things that we should not do. We choose things that we should not have. We often desire the right things in the wrong way, whether it be comfort and pleasure, whether it be the joys 
that we should not be in, enjoying at the time. Our, our world is so wrapped up in sex. The Christian church has never said that sex was wrong, but has always said that sex should be enjoyed within the bonds of holy matrimony between a man and a wife. This is a perfect example of desiring the right thing in the wrong way. Our hearts, you see, must be converted by God's grace. Our wills must be strengthened by God's grace. And when they are strengthened, we are enabled to love the right thing in the right way. The Apostle John, in his first letter, writes, By this we know, love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. It is when we are embraced, you see, by God's own love, that our hearts, which so easily love things that are not themselves lovable, or they themselves, or we love them in the wrong way, it is when we are embraced by God's love that our cold hearts are set aflame by his love. And when that occurs, that mighty act of God's grace and mercy upon us, our childish loves we find no longer fulfill us any longer. The things that we once saw only in part now become fully in view, clearly seen. Jesus showing his love for us that while we were yet sinners, he laid down his life for us. And it is this, this is the great theme of our Lenten journey. It is when we gaze upon the suffering servant as we have journeyed for days and weeks on end and we see him presented to us upon the cross to be able to see him for who he truly is and to say those words as St. Paul said to the Galatians, he loved me and gave himself for me. You see, my friends, this is a great price to pay. As I tried to tell you last week, there's so many things that are very expensive. Good food, as I told you last week, was just too expensive for the Morses. There's a high price to pay for the greatest of all things, which is God's love for us. As Jesus tells in numerous examples in the parables and the Gospels, that there are those things that are more priceless than we could ever hope to pay. The pearl of great price, the field with the treasure in it, and when they are discovered, nothing else compares. You see, my friends, Lent isn't about pain. It's not about suffering. It's not a dreary season. It's about reorienting our loves. Our loves are pointed in the wrong direction. And Lent invites us to point those loves, that desire in our hearts, for the thing that is truly good, the thing that is truly beautiful. The spiritual discipline of the season of Lent, fasting and prayer, and of giving of alms and of doing good things for others, this isn't about suffering to show God that you deserve something. No, that would be entirely wrong. But we follow Paul's example as he told us about that in the epistle earlier in the Jessima season, that subduing his earthly desires makes it so that the pure desire of God himself is clearly in view. We do these kinds of things, these spiritual disciplines, we do these for things that we want all the time. 
We do our homework so that we can have good grades. You'd rather be watching your favorite TikTok, but instead, you do your homework. We go to the trainer at 6 o'clock in the morning at the gym because instead of clinging to the warm comforter there and pulling the pillow over your head, you know that you need some exercise because that's good for you. You desire this thing that is better than staying in bed that extra hour and hitting the snooze button. We count calories. We deprive ourselves of comforts all the time so that we can achieve a greater good. So Lent should come to us naturally, and yet it still seems strange every year that we come back to it. Why are we unwilling to do the same for an eternal reward? A crown that shall never pass away. But in the season of Lent, we are invited to anticipate that great and glorious moment when we enter into the very presence of God for eternity. And in the season of Lent, we are given the opportunity to cultivate that desire, that love for God's presence, to see him as Bartimaeus saw him with the heart of faith that saved him, as Jesus said to him, your faith has made you well. And so the season of Lent, yes, is for our good. It invites us to put away all of those things that so easily entangle us and offer to us that great vision of Christ's love upon the cross. John Keeble, that great poet and preacher of the 1800s in England, in his sermon for Ash Wednesday, said these words, Let no man therefore be afraid of having his eyes opened to his own true condition. Rather, let us all come to our Lord in earnest prayer to him that he would enlighten our eyes that we sleep not the sleep of death. Let us ask of him with all our hearts to give us so far a right understanding of ourselves that none of our serious faults may remain. This Lent, unconfessed and unrepented of, that no part of God's holy will may continue to be slighted or disobeyed by us. So let us follow that great teaching of Keble, of St. Paul, that we run the race that is set before us, that we may look and see with the blind man Bartimaeus the great glory of God's love presented to us upon the cross. Amen.